One Week Season. Welcome to the OWS First Peak Podcast, where we are going to be talking about some of this week's games that might be flying a bit under the radar. This is your host, Ben Fritz, BFritz12 on DraftKings in Discord and on Twitter. And today I am joined by Lex Moralia and Majestic. Guys, what's going on? How are you? Good. Finally had a profitable weekend this last weekend playing DFS. I uh, didn't look at ownership. I didn't look at anybody's stuff. I just did my own thing, made my own mistakes, but some of they didn't really cost me. Like I didn't do great. Well, no, I think I did win on the main slate and I won on the uh, afternoon slate. Can't remember on the showdown. Nice. Nice. I had a, I had a decent week. Like I only had like one strong DraftKings lineup and I, like I, I, everyone played in the morning. So like I had a really nice score but all I had left was Judy and there was just like no flexibility with it where I'm just like the, anyone I swap is just down in salary, you know? And there was like, just like Chanel, like there was just no one there. So I'm like, I'll just leave him in. And he obviously kind of sucked. So it, it didn't like get anywhere near the top, but I had like, that was like the one where it was one of the games we talked about, you know, I had like the Tannehill, you know, Pittman Brown. I think I might've even had Taylor in that one. I just like full game stack that but um i i didn't have a lot of carter i think the only place i played carter was in the bottom up build contest so you know that, that wasn't great um i actually had my best battle royale week where i finished 24th and and of course my first pick is the one that sunk the lineup because uh digs just didn't keep up with the other top receivers um and like him just putting up like a few more points and vaults me you know from like 50 bucks to like a thousand or something like that well that sucked but uh I also might have gotten off, you know, Josh Allen if I didn't have digs. Like I wrote about it in the article I just sent to Alec earlier. But um, yeah, it was, it's just getting more fun to play those contests. You just you see how hammering it each week. It's like still pretty soft field, so it's fun to do. But yeah, I'm looking forward to another week. You know, the, the getting that bad stink out of my mouth. <laughs> Yeah, well, Jess, nice job getting on the board for us first peak, the first peak pod over here. <laughs> another another bad week. I was uh I kind of went in on what JM talked about a bunch at the end of last week, which was that full Washington Denver game. And obviously that disappointed from that perspective. It was pretty much par for the course in terms of most likely outcomes. Uh, but yeah, just brutal since I kind of based my single entry lineup around that, which I talked about a bunch on the, um, on the assessing your process pod that went up earlier today as well. Uh, Lex, just, just to be with you in solidarity there, I thought Judy was like one of the best plays on the slate at his price, like coming back from injury, probably not going to be super popular against that bad Washington defense, uh, like secondary, but man, just, just brutal. (laughs) But Denver's uh, just Denver's just been flopping like as a whole team the last few weeks. It's just frustrating. Yeah, that was like mostly a big portion of like what I talked about in the the assessment pod too is like betting on bad teams <laughs> and how like yeah you can bet on Jacksonville. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, you can bet on like alternate outcomes or the things that like maybe you know the second 
you know, most likely thing to happen, but just that over time, that's still like betting on bad teams is still not going to be a great thing. (laughs) Yeah. Actually just really quick on that. Like last year, like when blunder was, you know, interacting with OWS a bit, he was just hammering the fact that it's like, cause we were talking about Vegas totals, you know, and we're talking about how they, I mean, they are, you know, they can be incorrect week to week, but it's like, they're the most accurate over the long term, And it's like almost it's it, for you to think that you can be the you know one to predict on which specific week you're going to be right. And they're going to be wrong. Like in a, over the long term, that's just a losing bet. Um, so it's like, yeah, like, you know, we, we try to like play these like last few weeks, like we talked about Justin Fields and the bears and the Jaguars and both times these teams are implied for like 18 points. And what do you know? They like flop this offensive. So it's like, us thinking we can be Vegas and it's not like you should never try to like, you know, find these different spots. But I just thought it was interesting because it was like over the long term, Yeah. There are probably spots that like some people, the way they play, they would just never, never touch just because most of the time Vegas is going to be, you know, spot on about how that team performs. Yeah. Yeah. And from a process standpoint, the one thing that I didn't like about what I did was that at the beginning of the week uh, and even on Saturday, I, I was basically writing some stuff where I was like, I want to, as a single entry, small field player, I want to go in on spots that I do feel highly confident about high team totals, good game environments. So it's basically like Rams bills and the, uh, Tennessee, uh, indie game. And I didn't have anybody except for like Henderson on, <laughs> on that lineup. So I like said, this was going to be my strategy and I totally strayed from it. So, um, <laughs> always come back to those, those strategy things. But yeah, with that, why don't we jump into tonight's games here? We'll be, we'll be talking about all the teams, uh, the three games that we are going to be looking at are green Bay at Kansas city, Los Angeles Chargers at Philadelphia, Houston at Miami. A lot of interesting things going on in these spots. So we're going to start with Green Bay at Kansas City, which, you know, as we kind of always start this first game, it feels like not, you know, totally under the radar, but now we've got a little twist in this spot. So we've got two uh, quote unquote good offenses. And the reason I say that is because Mahomes has not looked like himself recently. And we've got Jordan Love starting for the Packers. It's also a pretty massive discrepancy on defense. Uh, Green Bay has been good. Kansas City has not. So let's take a look at this spot that was going to be pretty popular, but now may have uh, the field pausing a little bit with how they're going to approach it. Let's start with the Kansas City side of the ball. Uh, Like I said, Mahomes just really kind of struggling recently. You know, whenever we're talking about him, it's all kind of like relative, you know, him. We're kind of comparing him to himself instead of other quarterbacks. But uh, truly, he just really hasn't looked great. I've personally been watching some of the games and I mean, he just he doesn't look comfortable. He's making kind of ill-advised throws. He just looks kind of frantic back there. Uh, And I don't know. I, I played him on this past primetime slate and just crushed against another, like not good crushment. He got crushed in a bad way um, against a not good defense. So I don't know. I'm nervous. What can we expect versus a green Bay defense that has been playing well? I'll throw it to you first Lex. Yeah, I think um, a lot of the narrative about it is definitely just, you know, over the last two games, like they've 
struggled a bit as an offense, but I mean, he was still putting up massive numbers, like over the first, you know, five or so weeks. Um, but like some of the stuff that I've seen from, you know, some of the football guys is talking about, you know, defense is just basically playing back and just daring them to run. And Kansas city is just either not taking advantage or failing to take advantage when they do try to, um, they're blocking some of the guys that got like Orlando Brown, just more suited for a downhill approach as opposed to these like deep drops that Mahomes likes to do. And then Mahomes is bailing early. Um, so there's certainly things that they need to clean up. Um, but I think overall, like the offense is fine. Like the defense is still where they have the majority of their issues. Um, Green Bay's defense is interesting because they played pretty well. They haven't allowed a ton of pass production, but they also haven't played like the stiffest test of opponents. Um, I mean, Burrow had a pretty nice game. It did go to overtime. Um, they actually did play well against Kyler last week, I guess, but he was also supposedly hobbled. He lost Hopkins and during the game, um, just kind of a weird game overall. But I mean, Winston had that big week one against them. You know, the, some other guys like Jimmy G even had a decent game. So I, I don't think it's like some stiff pass defense that I'd be worried about, especially, especially for Mahomes, especially now with love with, you know, maybe more possession time for the chiefs. So I, I think the offense is in a, in a pretty good spot. If not, like it won't be one of the you know best ones they have this season, but it's, it's not like a super imposing one. And I think that the chiefs offense, especially if they're getting overlooked after some down performances, maybe, maybe this is a week to take advantage of like lower ownership. Just throw it back to you here. Start us off. Any thoughts on Mahomes and the matchup here? Uh, not much to add to what Lex just said. He pretty much covered it all. Um, as far as who to, to play from Kansas city, I kind of think it, you still look at the main guys there. Uh, running backs going to be interesting because now we have a, a Derek Gore in the the equation. But I mean, Green Bay doesn't have any like glaring funnels whatsoever. So it's not like they have this spot like on my workbook. They don't have a green box anywhere. So it's not like you can point to, aha, I'm going to play this guy because that's where the matchup is. Um, and yeah, they they've played well against the pass, but they haven't played anybody. Um, some of the the receivers that have done okay against them. I mean, Jamar Chase had a pretty big game. You got Deontay Johnson's done pretty well, but the offenses they've played have, have pretty much been some of the lower ranked offenses in the league. So this will be a nice test for not only Green Bay's defense, but for Mahomes too. I mean, can he beat a defense that's been pretty solid on paper so far? Uh, he's, he's at home. You've got the, one of the other things I'm concerned about on this one too, is, is the overall game environment with love being in the game. Is this going to be really slow down pace because green Bay is already slow. KC plays faster than they are, uh, or that than green Bay does, but it's possible that Kansas city does just take what green Bay gives. And if that's the running game, then that is just going to be kind of a slow paced grinder of a game. Um, so I don't know. I, I have to look at the prices on the KC guys because if they're priced up for a shootout, which this was probably going to be had Rodgers played, then I might have a little bit less interest, but maybe maybe pluck one here or there just as a one-off just to get some exposure to this game because it still should be a pretty good game. Um, it just all hinges because we don't know who Jordan Love is. So we don't know what we're going to get out of that Green Bay offense, really. And it's going to take the rest of the week of just reading, researching, and like just dissecting this game to really get into any type of plan with this game right now with Wednesday. I mean, the news just coming out and all that. It's like <laughs> we kind of got caught on our heels on that one. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, this this could be a good game. We'll see. I think some of the interesting things for like specific guys, um, I mean, Jair is out. Stokes has been playing well, but there's no one that you'd really fear 
um, for Tyreek. Like he's, you know, going to have a plus matchup no matter what. Um, he's been getting more targets lately. He's only priced. I think it was like under eight K. Um, I think what Jess is saying about the game environment is definitely interesting to consider just with, with love, you know, games at Arrowhead have actually tended to be lower scoring. Um, the chiefs have had a pretty good, you know, home field advantage and a better performing defense at home over the years. Um, and at home. So I think that that's something to keep in mind. Uh, Kelsey is a guy that if, people are starting to get off him. I think he could definitely have a big bounce back. The green Bay has not been great against tight ends over the last couple of years. Um, and you know, Kelsey has a massive ceiling. He's priced down from what he normally is. He looked really bad on prime time, which is probably going to drag down some of his ownership, but he was still putting up really nice games before that. Um, it's not like Casey has other guys that they can go to, to like replace his production. They part of the reason that Kelsey and he'll get so many targets is because that's, you know, basically the only guys they can count on. Um, I think the rushing production from QBs versus Green Bay is interesting because Mahomes does like to use his legs a bit, especially when he's feeling antsy in the pocket, he'll take off. And Green Bay has allowed quite a bit of rushing production to guys like even, you know, the non-rushing guys like Jimmy G and Goff and uh, Winston. Um, Heineke had 95 yards rushing versus team. So I think that's interesting. I I'm definitely going to be looking at the chiefs offense um, and we'll get to green Bay side with love. It's going to be interesting to figure out how to play that side. Um, and like just saying the game environment as a whole definitely took a hit, but I, I still think that price considered and just with, we know what the ceiling is with this offense that you have to definitely keep these guys in mind. Yeah, it's interesting. <clears throat> I actually had kind of the, the opposite take on the game environment, just because I figured with, Jordan Love in if the Packers can't be as efficient from like a drive sustaining uh, standpoint, maybe the KC is able to go up and they can't slow the clock down as much. And then the Packers have to be throwing to catch back up. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I think, you know, basically as both of you guys said, I think it's really interesting from a game flow standpoint because it, we don't know who Jordan Love is. And again, we'll get into that a little bit more. Lex, did you have something else there? Yeah, I actually like what you just said, because it's kind of true where if Rodgers is in a quarterback, they're probably going to, you know, be their slow pace. They're going to have a lot of ball control in the game. And that actually might lead to less possessions for Mahomes. Like, even if we expect them to score more, which is probably why we think of the game environment as better, you could, yeah, you're probably right. Like Casey might end up having the ball more as a result of that. And it actually ends up being a better spot just because there's no like these 10 minute, you know, eight minute drives from green Bay where they're just bleeding clock. Um, it's because Casey can't stop like the run or pass or anything really. Yeah. Which I also think that is, you know, interesting to the points that you guys are making about the, uh, you know, <laughs> the big three on Casey's side, cause that's really who matters. Right. And Mahomes, Hill and Kelsey, <clears throat> you know, like I said, I've, I've watched Mahomes a couple of times and I am concerned about him, but I think I'm not the only one going to be concerned about him. And like you were alluding to Lex, he's, he's not just not Mahomes all of a sudden, like, you know, he's, he's had good games. He can, um, can produce obviously, and has a good coach in Andy Reed. And, you know, you figure that at some point they figure out some of these issues and turn things around at least a little bit. And I really like the call on Kelsey too. Because yeah, again, definitely guilty of like, oh man, he looked like shit, <laughs> you know, against the Giants. And I mean, he truly hasn't looked like himself, uh, at least in the box score since the the first three weeks he put up 20 plus and hasn't hit 20 since. 
you know, he just seems to be like a little hobbled by the stuff that's bothering him. But I mean, your point was dead on. They don't have other guys. They don't have other playmakers to step in. Uh, you know, Blake Bell was on the field a decent amount. I don't know what that was relative to, you know, past games, but, um, you know, again, just noticing it. Uh, but I do think, yeah, if people are down on Kelsey and, and maybe Mahomes and their prices may be down a little bit too, again, I don't know what that looks like, but, uh, definitely think those spots are interesting. All that said, do you guys have comments back to that or do we want to check out the, just do our due diligence here and look at the, uh, the backfield before we move on to the green Bay side. Um, yeah, the only thing I'd say about Kelsey is part of his, you know, lesser production, like the last couple of weeks is just kind of goes hand in hand with the offensive struggles as a whole, just because him and Mahomes have such a like mind mesh, you know, like if those weird plays when a home is scrambling and then finding Kelsey when they're not really running like an organized route, you know, on the play, like if those aren't there, then that's where you're, you know, losing a lot of those crazy Kelsey plays, like where he scored, like in Baltimore, there was, you know, in the early in the season when he had like one of those huge touchdowns, it was kind of exactly like that. Um, so I think that if they're able to, you know, get more back to themselves and like maybe take advantage of this defense, then I, I think that that's what's going to help him. I, I think that that's probably why he's looked a little bit worse than he has just with the offense, you know, in the state is, but I'm definitely interested to talk about the running back too. Yeah. With that, why don't we go to the backfield? We had Derek Gore pop out of nowhere on, uh, on prime time. Uh, like I said, I played a little bit of that slate and I didn't, I didn't play showdown, but I, I was in kind of the, in discord and that thread and just seeing people start tilting and stuff like who the hell is this guy? He wasn't even on FanDuel's uh, player pool for that slate. So what's up with Derek Gore and what is, how does that affect the run game in general and uh, Darrell Williams role? I'll throw this to you first, Jess. Well, he definitely looked more efficient running the ball than Daryl Williams did. I mean, and, and then they kind of took him out. I don't know what their plan was there. Cause he only had, he had three carries in the second half, two counted. One was called back on a hold uh, and his two carries amounted to zero yards in the second half. So I don't, I don't know why they kind of phased him out in the second half. I know the game was a little bit closer. Maybe they're trying to stick with people who they trusted, uh, Williams looks like he's definitely the, the passing down back. I didn't, don't remember seeing jet much at all in the game. So it, it could be a dual backfield where they're hammering Gore for the running game. And then Williams might still get a couple carries, get a couple targets, but I think it kind of makes both guys unplayable because they're both, you don't have one guy doing everything and it's not a, a high volume running game to begin with. Uh, Green Bay's defensive line is good too. So it, we don't know how successful they're going to be running the ball in this game. And it, it might be easier just to pick on Green Bay doing screens or shorter passes, crossers, stuff like that, and just try and get the ball into your playmaker's hands and go from there. Yeah, I don't have too much more to add. Um, Green Bay is like, they haven't been like fantastic versus the run, but they definitely haven't been bad. Um, they've had a little bit of running backs. Uh, receiving receiving production through the air they've allowed um which is definitely williams you know his role in casey's offense for the moment but like jess is saying with gore now a factor it's really hard to trust you know where all these carries are going to go and if even if williams is leading like how much of it is split like what's his real ceiling in terms of touches um i mean there's still a way you can if you really want to risk it i mean like that's a way to 
leverage off the other two guys not producing as many points because we probably expect Casey to score a bit. But the offense has definitely been struggling, so it's very possible they they I mean they just scored twenty versus the Giants. It's only a week later. It's not like they had a bye to like think all this through. But like I was saying at the beginning, defenses are playing this offense for the pass, so it's they're inviting the run. So if one of these guys can take advantage, then there is some you know room for production and points there. It's just are you really having to take a stab at, you know, one of these guys or Williams with the threat of Gore looming behind them. So it's kind of just, it's a tough spot to really want to roster. Yep. That all sounds about right to me. Yeah. The only thing I noticed like uh, Daryl Williams pass role is like decent, you know, he's gotten like four or five, six targets, but, but yeah, I mean, ceiling wise, it's just kind of kind of rough. So all right, I think that'll do it. We talked a couple times now or mentioned the Green Bay side of the ball. What are we looking at here? The Kansas City defense is not great. We can get into some specifics of that here. Um, are we playing the Packers? Do we think that they're going to change on their offense? And I guess that starts with what do we know about Jordan Love? Lex, I know you dug up a few stats on him. Any thoughts there? Yeah, we we don't know much because he hasn't played now in two years. You know, he sat out all of last year. Uh, he he was a turnover machine in college. His last season, he threw twenty touchdowns to seventeen picks. Um, but again, it's been two years. Like you know, you'd hope that he's cleaned up some of that in his game, but he hasn't have had any actual games other than preseason this year to like put that into practice. Uh, he he played decent in preseason, but again, like I mean, so did Zach Wilson, right? So you, you can't put too much stock into that. I think it's interesting that he rushed for 25 plus yards in eight of his 13 games that last year in college. So he's a guy that can, you know, run a bit, um, which kind of boosts his floor. He's only, I think like 4,400. So he's super cheap against a defense that has not been very good, but you're obviously taking on a ton of risk, you know, putting him in there as a guy who's never played in an actual NFL game. Uh, if Devonte is in, he doesn't have like the worst set of weapons with Devonte and Jones, you know, out of the, you know, to throw to, but they did just lose Tanya. I think MBS is, I don't know if, what his status is, if he's playing or not, you know, same with Lazard, but um, yeah, he's, he's interesting from the sense that he's got a big arm, you know, he can run a bit. It's a bad defense. He's cheap. There's some good weapons on his team that you could maybe stack him with, you know, um, and the other offense is going to put up points. So he's probably going to need to keep throwing throughout the game. But again, it's, there's so much uncertainty surrounding it. So it's, it's hard to really know what to do with them. Yeah. And just looking at uh, the drive success rate matchups on this for both teams on both sides, offense and defense, this is four green boxes. So green Bay is stepping into a good opportunity here. And like you're saying, Jordan love can run the ball while Kansas city is also letting QBs run on them. It's going to be interesting to see what Spagnolo does. Is he just going to blitz the crap out of this dude and try and beat him up and, you know, kind of get him into a shell or something like that. Uh, you, you got to figure green Bay is going to want to try to run the ball and protect him unless they really feel confident in him. Um, and then try and make, basically make love beat them. And that's what Minnesota tried to do to Dallas last week with Cooper rush and Cooper rush beat him low scoring game. So I'm kind of like looking at that game and thinking it might be something similar here where we've got 
both of them scoring under 25. Um, and yeah, we'll see. We don't know who love favors. We don't know what receivers are going to play yet. We know Tanyan's out. We don't know if any of those backup tight ends like Dagura or whatever his name is, is going to step up and be a playmaker, or if they're just going to leave Lewis in there to, to take all the, the snaps and any targets that come his way. Uh, the workbook looks like Kansas city is going to give opportunity to the tight ends here. I mean, they're allowing 17.7 PPR points. I don't know about DK points, but they're allowing points to tight ends. So that's a way that rookie quarterbacks tend to get comfortable too, is they can always find the big guy in the middle of the field when stuff breaks down. So it depends on what tight ends are out there. Um, Adams is on the COVID list. Yeah. MVS. We don't know yet. I think Lazard is back. Uh, he's still got Cobb out there. And then if any of the other younger players or backup players kind of filter in through the game, just to give somebody that loves comfortable throwing to from practices and stuff like that, they might try and do that to help him. Um, and even Aaron Jones, I mean, they, you can throw him the ball too, just get him in screens and stuff like that. And then trying to see if they can get run after the catch plays, let love run around a little bit and go just kind of see what happens there. Yeah. My guess is that they'll, be trying to run and slow down the game as much as they would with Rogers and probably more. Um, and if they can do that, then that would obviously negatively boost Kansas city's offensive, like possession time a bit. And it would boost the, you know, the running game for this Packers team. I think they'll probably use, like you're saying, like Jones a little bit more as a receiver. Maybe that helps them get both Jones and Dylan on the field at the same time with some of these receiver injuries they have. Uh, there was something, oh yeah, it was like, I think Winfrey was actually a guy that he played a lot with in the preseason and he was on the field a lot actually last, you know, the last game with Rogers. So maybe that's a guy, you know, if Adams isn't playing and like, that's a guy that he targets a lot. Uh, but again, we're dealing with so much, you know, uncertainty, like just because he had a connection with that guy in preseason doesn't mean it's going to carry over. I mean, he, Winfrey wasn't seeing the field until last week, just, you know, with all their injuries. Um, I think Jones is probably my favorite play just because he serves as an outlet and he's in a really good spot where Kansas city bleeds, you know, receiving production to running backs. He had a massive game the last time they played a couple of years ago, and it's still like the same Kansas city offense. I mean, defense uh, stylistically. So like that, he'd be the most interesting just because if he's having success, he can, he can be successful in a positive matchup for green Bay or, you know, a negative game flow. Um, so Yeah. I don't really, it's hard to like speak too confidently on anything here, but I'd probably, I, my, the end of the end of the day, Jones is my favorite. If I'm putting all my thoughts together. Yeah. Same. <laughs> the Kansas City's defense is funneling the ball to running back and tight end. They're still the, the same defense. So they're still tough against wide receivers. You get Devonte Adams back. He's worth a look. He's going to be better than any corner they put in front of him. So he's interesting, but just looking at the, the schematics of that defense, the, the running backs and tight ends are most interesting the loss of Tanyan hurts. So figuring out the tight end would be interesting because he's probably going to be super cheap, but yeah, definitely love Jones and Dylan this game. Yeah. Jones. I mean, I think Adams is like 8,200 if I, if I just looked and like, he's probably going to be pretty alone because of love starting him coming off COVID and missing that game and stuff. But I mean, he has to, at that price too, he has to put up a really big score. So like you're, you're just banking on so many, you know, variables, like it's, it's just going to be interesting, I guess, to see. Yeah. And Deguara and Daphne are both minimum priced at tight end. So if there's any indication, either one of those guys are stepping into a significant passing game role, they will definitely be interesting. And potentially popular. 
<laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. But uh, yeah. All right. So the, the, the recap there, I feel like on what you guys said was uh, highly uncertain in general outside of Aaron Jones. Just, you know, you kind of laid it out there, Lex. He has a role regardless of game script here. He's going to get work in the run game and the pass game. I would probably expect them to run a similar offense that they did last week, even if Devante, I don't know, I guess it changes a little bit if Devante's back, but uh, they were just so successful with the one-two punch of Dylan and, you know, using Aaron Jones, you know, 11 targets in that game. So I would expect that they probably go back to something like that and they'd probably have some level of success with it. So it's, I don't know, it's like you said, it's really hard to, consider Adams without Rogers at that price, just given everything, uh, you know, a guy like Adams is, is clearly, you know, an elite receiver, but his connection with Rogers is part of the reason that he, his ceiling is what it is. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's scary for me, but always interesting when a guy like that might not have the ownership. Lex, you got something there. Yeah. One thing I'll say too. Now, I don't know how much this applies to Adams per se, just because he's already so good at getting open, but like love is definitely more likely to take chances, like just with his play style than Rogers is like Rogers is, you know, so interception averse. Um, so he's, he's not going to throw that. He just doesn't, you know, with Adams, you don't need to take chances because he creates so much separation. So really, you know, a guy like love would be like when Fitzpatrick comes in and then you like Devonte Parker better, cause he's going to throw him the 50, 50 ball. So I don't know if he love improves Adams out, you know, output like in that sense, but he definitely is a guy that's probably more willing to like throw it down the field or throw into tight windows. So if there's a guy, you know, one of the receivers that you think that that's most likely to benefit, then that would be interesting to me, I guess, just a, just a thought on that. Yeah. Which would kind of lead to MVS if, if you were available, um, so yeah, just so many, so many uncertain things. The one other thing I was going to say about uh, Jordan Love is I like started shaking my head at myself. I'm such a sucker for like a cheap quarterback like that, that has rushing upside. And <laughs> like, I'm like, oh God, I'm going to play Jordan Love. This is not good. <laughs> um, but seriously though, I think it is interesting in a, a matchup like this. If you're, you know, if you're going to stack him or, or play him, you wouldn't even necessarily have to pick somebody. You could even play him with Aaron Jones because of Jones's uh, passing game upside. And then, you know, you play Kelsey and Hill coming back on the other side to get, you know, if you're assuming that they're putting up points and love has got to throw a little bit or play coming from behind, you know, he, he puts up 20 to 25 for you is, is viable. Do we, you know, do we think he's going to do that? Not necessarily, but it's, it's possible it's within the range of outcomes and you're, you know, you're saving so much salary at that point. So yeah, I'm not uh, <laughs> advocating for it necessarily, but there is a, a case to be made for that, depending, you know, assuming you build a roster intelligently around that. He's almost 4,000 cheaper than Josh Allen. <laughs> He's almost like half the price. It's, it's pretty crazy. Like I'm not the right person to ask like the math, you know, you need to do where it's like what score is like what you need from him. Um, but I mean, it, I also feel better about him as a second year player than a rookie. Like, you know, that, that actually is probably just a little bit, just makes him a little bit safer. Like he's been in the league at least for a whole year in the system. Yeah. And I think, yeah, you, like you, 
you hit on exactly the kind of the really interesting part, which is right. I think a lot of people are already going to be kind of like moving towards Josh Allen for certainty this week. It's, it's kind of a weird week. And, you know, even from like a very high level without the, the in-depth math, it's like, even if Allen puts up 35 and somehow Jordan love puts up 25 and you paid 4k less and you can put that salary elsewhere, you're setting yourself apart and you, you know, didn't have to like fully make up all those points. So yeah, just interesting depending on how you're seeing this game and how you're uh, building rosters. What do you think guys? Do we, I, we, we worked that a little bit in a roundabout way, but I think we hit on a lot of the stuff that we, we wanted to touch on. Yeah, I'm good with this game. Same. All right. Moving on to Los Angeles chargers at Philadelphia Eagles. I'm kind of curious about this spot just from a football perspective. I think it's kind of an interesting uh, setup here. We've got a good chargers team where we know where the ball is going and an Eagles team who is still kind of trying to find their identity. It seems like uh, Jalen hurts has had pretty different performances in the past four weeks than he had in the first four. They wanted to run the ball, but then they lost Miles Sanders. Uh, so all these things are happening. And then on the defensive side of the ball, we have two basically run funnel defenses so with that, let's jump in here, starting with the offensive side of the ball. I kind of alluded to Hertz being having a little bit of a, uh, a you know first quarter of the season to the second quarter of the season looked a little bit different. He is still producing. You know, he's been solid, but he doesn't have any like real ceiling game yet. And yeah, we have the, the backfield situation. Everybody kind of uh, was tilting like crazy on Twitter with the Gainwell situation. Lex, I'm going to start with you. Thoughts on Hertz and the way this sets up for the Eagles? Yeah, I don't think this is a great spot at all for Hertz. The Chargers' strength has been their pass defense. Um, their weakness has been the run, which obviously Hertz can do, but I think that is better just for the running game as a whole. I, I just think that they're too smart and too talented in the secondary for Hertz to really pop off. I mean, especially just because it's not like they have the most threatening receivers. Um, he's still pretty inaccurate. I just, I, I'm probably going to stay away from this passing offense. Like I, I realized too, I was getting myself into trouble. Like we had these games that we talk about and we're obviously, we're always going to try to focus on like the positive things. Like that's just like our human nature because we're talking about this, talking about these games on this podcast. But like, this is just one, like, I don't want to talk myself into, I, I just would prefer to take shots on other spots this week. Just because I think the charters are just so strong the air and Hertz is like not showed enough as an NFL quarterback for me to be like, yes, he can be the one that like breaks through and, you know, has a big game against this tough pass defense. Like I just, I just would rather bet on other things, honestly. Yeah, I can agree with that. I mean, I have, I'm going to have Hertz in my early week player pool and keep looking at it just because it's Hertz and he can run. And that's yeah. where the Chargers defense is weak, but that, I mean, they're allowing the fourth fewest targets to wide receivers. So his, his chance for a big play is going to be minimized by that. Uh, and then the six fewest targets to running backs, not that he really has, I mean, I guess Gainwell will still catch passes, but who knows what's going on there. Uh, basically it's down to as far as the way the chargers defend you, 
is they want you to run the ball on them. And then if they, if you are going to throw it, they want you to throw it to your tight end because they, they figure they can go get that guy and tackle him. He's not going to make an explosive play. So they take away your outside. They take away all that explosiveness and just leave you with, you know, dare you to run, throw to your tight end. Just, you have to, to be able to move the ball and not make mistakes against the Chargers defense. And I don't know if Hertz is that type of quarterback. I, I don't know if he'll get impatient or if he'll try and do too much. So I probably won't be on Hertz in the spot. I definitely won't be on his receivers. Um, I may consider Goddard and I may consider <laughs> Gainwell again, because he, he is the type that can catch a lot of passes in this type of an environment. But I thought that last week and they just hammered the ball, which is something that the chargers will let you do. So we'll see. I mean, the, the chargers defense is, what are they? They're pretty much in last. Yeah. They're giving up the most rushing yards. They're ranked 32nd and pretty much any counting stat when it comes to, to rushing. So this could be another Boston Scott, Jordan Howard game. We saw, uh, that they, that Sirianni was willing to do that against the, against the lions. Why wouldn't he be willing to do that here in another spot where it makes sense? So I'm probably going to be off of Hertz. I mean, he's just kind of scratching around the back of my head, but it, it's, it's the running game for Philly. It's possibly Goddard. It's possibly Gainwell. If you're looking for somebody who's going to catch the ball. Yeah. My worry with the running backs or is like, it's like so much like Baltimore right now, at least, you know, that's how it looked last week. And you know, they all had a really nice day versus the chargers too, but like none of them had scores you needed because it's so split up. And like, that would be on my concern with that. Now, if Scott like gets more of a, you know, more of the carries and he's interesting, I just is really hard to predict that right now. Goddard is definitely the most interesting to me just because that's where the chargers have been weakest. They've been really strong against receivers, you know, and Goddard's definitely getting more targets now with Ertz gone. I think he got like half of Hertz's passes last week. So you definitely have a big uh, target expectation there um, in the best matchup for them. So if I was playing it, it would probably be, you know, either Goddard by himself or, you know, Hertz to Goddard with like Eckler or someone on the other side as we'll get to. But um, yeah, I I'm mostly staying away from this spot just with all the uncertainty and like kind of the bad matchup and everything, but Goddard would be the one guy who's going to probably like stay on my mind for the rest of the week. And it'll be interesting to see how much Howard is going to be involved. He only played like a quarter of the snaps last week. He played 16 snaps and scored two touchdowns. So it's, he wasn't like a big part of the game plan. He just happened to be the guy who got those goal line carries. So it'll be interesting to see if Scott does end up with a little more of those snaps and carries this week, or if they're going to continue that. Cause if, if they're going to continue to split between those two and then also bring in Gainwell for passing, then none of those backs are viable. You guys are, you guys are sharp. That was a great analysis. Great breakdown. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I feel like you guys kind of said it all there for, for the, the Philly side of the ball. I mean, really Goddard is the only play that sticks out to me whatsoever. It's like, yeah, you know, Hertz could have a good day rushing, but even with that, his ceiling is just, or it just feels like his production uh, it would be so hard to come by through the air. So you're not really going to get some big ceiling game out of him. Cause you're not getting like rushing and passing, um, <clears throat> against this. Yeah. I, I like, I, I respect the Chargers defense a lot on the back end and I'm not, not going there. Uh, like you guys mentioned with the running backs, <laughs> Jordan Howard has just got to be like one of the most ridiculous players in <laughs> NFL history. Like the amount of touchdowns he has and like his yards per carry, 
um, or like the amount of touchdowns he has per carry. It just got to be crazy. Uh, and then the game well thing I think is only interesting, not because I think it's a good play, but only interesting on the off chance that you set it up where you're kind of uh, building a roster that the chargers get out to a lead. And I guess we'll kind of get into if that's possible, but if they would get out to a lead and then Gainwell would come in, see some passing work. He just burned everybody last week and uh, kind of noted this on the uh, process assessment pod earlier today, but feels like we're kind of getting to that point in the season where people react, the, the field reacts really quickly for on like a week to week basis. And so that's something I'm always interested in, but especially interested in for like the rest of the season here is, uh, the the recency bias I feel like gets really strong midway through the season. So again, not necessarily a good play, but if if you're you know from a strategy and ownership standpoint, could be interesting if you're playing it the right way. Yeah, it's just weird. Like I remember, I think I played Sanders against the Chiefs, and then Gainwell ends up being like used all over the early part of that game. He scores like once or twice, so it's like he was a couple of weeks removed from being the guy, you know, even being used ahead of Sanders when Sanders was playing. So it's just it's just a weird situation. Like you're just betting on uncertainty, you know? So it's, it's up to you how much risk you want to take there, I guess. <laughs> All right. With that, uh, to the Chargers side of the ball, we know where the ball is going. They've, they've got their guys that are going to produce. Uh, Philly is a run funnel D. Is that going to work for the chargers in the way that they want to approach this game. And if so, how does that affect us in DFS? Jess, I'll throw it to you here. Well, as far as like looking at the drive success rates between these two teams too, this game sets up well, it's the next best game behind the uh, green Bay, Kansas city game. So both offenses could do well. Uh, one thing that Philly has in their favor on defense is they have Herbert's offensive coordinator over there now. So they were able to <laughs> get a little intel on what he likes to do. Um, but it's, it's pretty much the same kind of defense as what the chargers run. They take away receivers. They force you to run the ball and throw to your tight ends, but they're a little bit better at stopping the run. Uh, not by much, but they'll definitely let you throw to your running backs and your tight ends like Philly is allowing the least amount. According to my chart, I've got uh, 15 passes to wide receivers per game, and that's the lowest amount in the league. So Philly is definitely taking out wide receivers. You've got Slay and uh, God, I'm blanking on the other guy, uh, Nelson. Both of those guys are playing well right now and putting those guys on Mike Williams and, and Keenan Allen is pretty much going to funnel the ball into passes to Eckler uh, just running the ball period and then throwing to your tight ends and Jared cook just does not look great this year. So I don't know if I want to play cook. So I'm kind of down to when I'm looking at the Chargers side of the ball, the only interesting player to me is going to be Eckler. So it's, it's like in this game, like just a correlated pair of Eckler and Goddard makes sense if you're going to reach into this game. But other than that, there's not a whole lot of stuff that lines up for big plays. And, and I know people like Mike Williams and he's getting ready or, his ownership has been going down. So people want to play him from like a, an ownership perspective, but it would be interesting because you would be betting on something that, that hasn't really happened yet against the Philadelphia defense if you're going there, but 
I don't know. It's it, the, these two defenses are, are really kind of mirror images of, of each other and the drive success rate stuff and all, and all the indicators point to the running game and the tight ends for both sides. Yeah. You know, what's funny is when Jess first started his statement, I thought he was going to say like the advantage of the Philly defense is that the chargers have Joe Lombardi as their offensive coordinator, just because he's honestly been holding back Herbert by trying to run an offense that's like basically designed for a late career Drew Brees. Um, they're just doing very little vertically. And part of it is they don't have the best receivers to challenge. Like they're just really missing some like a speed guy, like Tyron Johnson last year to, you know, keep the safeties back. So it's been, that's been part of the struggle for the past game, at least, especially the last couple of weeks. Um, Philly has been pretty strong as a whole past defense overall, but they've definitely allowed, you know, some bigger games like to, you know, Mahomes, like they just passed all over them. Um, but Tyree kill is obviously a unique weapon. And so is Mahomes arm. Um, so I think like Lombardi is what concerns me a little bit, just in terms of them being able to like take advantage of a, you know, solid pass defense. Um, I think like Jess was saying, the receivers just don't set up great. Philly's been pretty good at limiting receiver production, really only Antonio Brown and, um, Tyree Hill are the only guys that had big days versus them. And like the, you know, bucks had three receivers. The Eagles had to contend with, you know? So I, I think that. Keenan's in a better spot in the slot than Williams is as Williams is most likely to see slay, but either, but he's also a guy Keenan that needs like a ton of volume just to get to a score that you need. Um, Eckler's definitely the most interesting just from how Philly's defense is set up this year. Eckler's, you know, usage this year, just in terms of like his pass work, his red zone work and everything. He's probably going to be very popular. I mean, if Swift was really popular last week in the spot, I would imagine Eckler is, you know, really popular as well. Um, but I think he's going to be, I think he's pretty good chalk in this spot. I think he's the most likely to have like a big game. So I'll, I'll definitely be interested in Eckler. Uh, I don't really have much else just because I think I'm mostly avoiding the passing game just with how cook has been playing and he's not really getting a ton of usage either. You know, maybe he scores a touchdown, but it's like, is that really what you want? You're just hoping for him to fall into the end zone basically. Um, yeah, the receivers aren't great. Eckler's definitely in the best spot, but outside of that, I'm not, I'm not even that interested in Herbert really. So yeah, that I, I don't have much else to say. I'm just kind of <laughs> rambling this point because I just, I don't really like this game as a, as a whole, honestly. Yeah, I, I did. Uh, there's a couple stats that I had written down. I didn't say when I was talking, Philadelphia is forcing the shallowest a dot in the league at the 6.4, their longest pass against has been 44 yards and they've only allowed 17 passes over 20 yards. I think there's three teams that have allowed less, but two of those have already had their bye week. So, I mean, this is just not a defense. You can look for home run plays against, which is what you're looking for. When you're building DFS rosters, you're looking for a guy who's going to catch at least one long touchdown, if not two. So this, this really isn't a great spot to, to pick on in the passing game whatsoever. Yeah. As you guys are talking there, it, I guess I'm kind of concerned about the game environment as a whole. Jess, I know you said that the, the drive success rate sets up well, but it doesn't really feel like a game that's going to bring out some ceiling games on guys, which, you know, we're always kind of looking at for tourneys. So that's kind of worrisome to me, especially since there's only a couple spots we can really consider here. I'm actually, I'm kind of interested in like seeing what Eckler's, um, like how he sets up in terms of ownership, because Lex, one of the things that I thought was interesting from your notes, and I didn't really realize, uh, is that Eckler has 
only three of his games has he had 20 plus total touches and the highest is 22. So it's not even like he's, he's seeing this crazy volume from a, again, like a total per uh, standpoint. So I don't know. I, that's just interesting to me in a game that yes, it's funneled towards him, but if he is going to be really chalky, I could see ways that he could fail from like a ceiling perspective. Like, yeah, he's a solid play for sure. But uh, yeah, that's interesting to me. I think he's, he's almost like, like how we used to think about Camara just because Eckler's finally priced up in that range where Camara is where it's like, they're just, they don't make me care Camara before this year, you know, where they don't have the highest ceilings. Like they're really not going to touch the ball that many times. So when you do play them, you're betting on just extreme efficiency or just like an outlier game where they get, an absurd amount of targets or, you know, three touchdowns. Uh, so he definitely can have a big game, but it's like you said, like, especially now that he's priced up, you're really banking on big efficiency because it's not like you're getting a, a good price considered score anymore. At this point, you need a huge game from him now. All right, guys, anything else in this spot? No, I was just going to say it the way that the the game sets up is this could be the huge volume game that Eckler gets, but then they got Jackson and Roundtree involved a little bit last week too. Jackson had that big run. So they're still going to, you're going to need the efficiency out of Eckler. They're going to spell him a little bit and give him some rest, but the game environment itself, I think it really does set up for him to have a massive game. If he's going to have one, this is the type of game that you're you're probably going to see it come from. All right. Good on that game to our final one of the night. We always leave the fun one for last. We've got Houston at Miami. Uh, Tyrod Taylor may come back this week. Uh, Houston does have a bye next week, so could keep him out. But uh, as Jess mentioned (laughs) pre-pod, they don't really have a reason to rest him or kind of save him here. This game is a little bit more interesting if he's starting, but Davis Mills has also shown that he is at least competent in spots. So let's look at if these teams can do anything against each other. Obviously, we like Miami a bit in this spot simply because the Houston defense is so bad. Let's start there. They can pretty much attack any way they want to. Generally, they want to skew pass heavy. That's kind of like how they uh, built this offense around Tua. But are they going to do that or need to in this spot, Jess? Um, The way the game sets up, they probably don't have to use Tua. Um, Just kind of the macro on this game, like we were talking about, I don't remember if it was pre-potter during the the pre-chat on this, how you don't a roster, a bad offense. This is two really bad offenses. You have the the worst team in the league and drive success rate with Houston. You have Miami is the fifth worst, but then you look at time of possession because they're so bad. Neither of them really possesses the ball. And this game has uh, an extra like four minutes available for time of possession. Miami plays a little bit faster pace. Houston's a little bit slower. Miami runs five more plays per game. Um, the thing with Miami though, is they don't really want to rely on Gaskin and he seems to be the way to, to win the game for them. If they wanted to, they could just run the ball to him or run the ball with him and, and win the game. Um, like only the, the lions defense has forced fewer pass attempts per game than Houston. 
uh, only 31 and the Lions have seen more rushing attempts and only the Lions have seen more rushing attempts against them than Houston. So Houston is tilting their opponent to the run game. So if if they want to, <laughs> then then Gaskin should be be able to have a good game here. They should run the ball with him and Ahmed and whoever else they have Laird. They just picked up somebody, too. I can't remember. Um, kind of a familiar name. And yeah. So they can run if they want. <laughs> yeah, I just going off that too. It, it's really hard to know because we haven't seen Miami in like a a game script where they've led all game. Like even the Patriots one was more back and forth as opposed to them like you know being in full control against a bad team. So it's it's just a different spot. Like they've they've been a one of the higher you know pass rate teams, but they've also been trailing like in some of these games or in these back and forth like shootouts versus Atlanta. Um, so. I think that they'll still pass like more than, you know, some teams would in this spot where if they were to just control the ground, you know, control the game on the ground all day. So I, I still like Tua. I think he's got some interesting pass cutters to look at with Waddle and Parker and Gasicki. Even Gaskin, if he if he does get that work, is like going to be using the pass game. So I'm pretty interested in the Miami offense, but there is the concern, like you were saying, like we don't really know what kind of pass volume we're getting just because of the difference in how this game might play out. Um, and then we've also got uncertainty with Davis Mills and Tyrod, um, and whatnot. And Houston's been a little bit better versus the pass than they have versus the run. Um, but I don't know. I still, I still think the spot's interesting. Like, I, I just don't think there's going to be too much resistance, you know, from Houston's side and, and stopping like a, at least somewhat effective Miami offense. So I, I'll be interested in playing these guys. Yeah. And I mean, we saw the Rams and the Cardinals, they're just running the ball against the the Texans too. these past couple of weeks. Um, Houston's allowed the second most rushing yards per game behind the chargers who we just talked about. They're uh, allowing 1.75 rushing touchdowns per game, which is the most. So, I mean, it, it's going to be the play callers, the, whatever the dual play callers for Miami are going to have to be pretty dumb to like try and go for a lot of pass volume here. If they're watching good teams, like the Rams and Cardinals just choose to run the ball against them. But yeah, the, their passing game is pretty condensed too. So that sets up interesting once we get to that side or that part of the Miami offense. Yeah. If you listen to guys like, like Jay Moyers, a guy on Twitter, who's always doing a lot of running back stuff. And like, he, he's basically saying how it just doesn't make sense why Miami won't use Gaskin more just because he's just so much of a better running back than these other guys. It just really doesn't make sense. Um, but we our job isn't to be like, Oh, this guy should be right. It's figuring out what the coaches are going to do with these guys. So it's just, it's pretty frustrating, you know, for Gaskin, but he, if he does get the touches, like this is a really good spot, like for all the th- reasons Jess just laid out. Well, and he's had 19 and 16 opportunities each of the past two weeks. So it's yeah. kind of there. <laughs> yeah. I, I like all these guys. I mean, Houston's been really bad versus tight ends and I guess like he is more receiver than tight end, but you know, he's got a good amount of targets. His, his target share is a little bit, you know, lessened with Parker back, but you know, he's in a good spot. You know, both receivers are in good spots. Houston's been allowing a very high success rate in yards per attempt to receivers. Um, you're, you're just basically hoping that one of them gets the t- you know, majority of the catches or, you know, touchdowns and what in the game. Um, but I, I think that, you know, both Parker and Waddle are in good spots too. So I'll be interested in all facets of the Miami offense. Yeah. The, the thing that's interesting to me is you had a <clears throat> looking at your notes, Lex, that teams are averaging 20, 
about 28 pass attempts per game over uh, like ex- with the exception of week one, which was a competitive one with Houston. Uh, I would think that, you know, maybe because of the way that Miami structured and wanting to pass a little bit more that they, you know, might uptick on that slightly. So, you know, you consider uh, to us seeing 32 attempts or something like that. It does give, you know, maybe not him much of a ceiling, but that does make Parker and Waddle pretty interesting. You know, just like he's in there too. Uh, and man, the, the Parker thing I had, I was like salivating over playing him two weeks ago, uh, stacked against, uh, when they were playing the Falcons. Cause I wanted to game stack that spot. And I was so bummed when <laughs> he didn't play, uh, cause I was just so ready for him to come back. I feel like people always sleep on him a little bit and how much this, you know, Miami offense uses him and that the quarterbacks target him. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he came, came back strong last week. Waddle still saw a bunch of volume. Uh, yeah, Lex, you got something else there? Yeah. So sorry, I wanted to go off what you're saying. So Parker and Waddle have the same amount of targets in the games they played together, but Parker's being targeted way more downfield, way more upside in those targets. So Waddle, like you're playing him basically saying that Houston is competing on the other side and it's back and forth just because of how they've, you know, the, uh, the pass rate they've faced and the way Miami uses Waddle, like you only are playing Waddle in the event that he's getting like a ton of catches and scoring, you know, whereas Parker can hit on fewer catches just because he's being used more downfield. He's got a more valuable role. I think Waddle would be my least favorite of all the guys, unless you're really saying that Houston is, you know, turning this game into a much better scoring environment. Um, I think Gesicki too, like he's at a weaker position, so you don't need quite as many points and he's basically functioning as a receiver anyway. So I think he's really interesting. And then, you know, going back to Gaskin, but I just wanted to say that about the receivers, just, I think Waddle is really like, you really have to hope Houston scores. Otherwise Parker's a guy you can play probably without a bring back, but anyone in the past game, you have to be concerned with, like you were saying, they, Houston is just not facing many pass attempts per game just because they've been way weaker on the ground and they've been getting basically blown out except for that one blowout when they had in week one versus Jacksonville. On well, yeah. Houston's allowing their, their most fantasy points to the outside wide receivers and the tight end. So Waddle coming into the slot a little bit is going to put a little bit of a dent there because they've actually been pretty good against the slot. And then running back rushing is the other area to attack for fantasy points there. Well, and also, you know, we talked a little bit about efficiency and, you know, again, assuming, you know, totally a rough number, but, you know, assuming tire or excuse me, Tua throws 32 times, you know, Parker's seeing a large percentage of those targets. So, you know, he could still see a decent share of targets there. And Lex, I think that was a really sharp point there. You know, people have seen Waddle over the past handful of weeks. JM's talked about him. He's been a good play, but like Parker just does have so much more upside. And so I think that's really interesting because he's a guy who could go for, six, one twenty and two or something like that. Like it's well within his range of outcomes with that. It's a, it's more narrative driven for sure. But I mean, Miami is just, they need a win and they need to, to do something here. And so I, I would not be blown away to see them really try to just get a lot of confidence here by, by putting up some points. I mean, I, I can't really see how they would go wrong with just trying to absolutely smash Houston. (laughs) So that's like interesting to me too. 
Right. And they, they want to put the, Tua would want to put the Deshaun Watson rumors to bed. I mean, they may happen yeah. next year, but what better team to take out this whole Deshaun Watson thing against than the team that he's sitting there on. <laughs> um, and then kind of going back to, to why we like Parker and Jasicki, like I pulled targets for the full games that they've played with Tua. Waddle's got 9.7. Parker's just right behind him with nine. Gasicki's got five and three quarter targets. Gaskin, four and three quarters. But you look at the A dot and it's Jasicki and Parker are above 10 at 10.4 and 10.5 A dot while Waddle's sitting there at 8.5. And then again, if Waddle's in the slot for half the time, you, you kind of lose him there. So going back and reiterating our, our point on Jasicki and Parker, that's just more fuel to the fire on that. Last thing, because we have talked about the Dolphins offense quite a bit now, uh, on the Gaskin thing, I do think that is at least interesting. It, I mean, definitely uncertainty there. You're you're almost guaranteed to get a touchdown vultured by, by one of the other guys. Uh, but you know, he he really does set up here. He has been the guy receiving most of the looks and also most of the receiving looks. Uh, so there there is upside. I think that's interesting. You are embracing risk there, but you know, it, it would not be crazy to see him put up a really solid game in this spot. And I don't know what his price point is, but probably price considered too. So 5,800. So not bad. Interesting. All right. We talked Miami can Houston stay in this game. Let's kind of, at least at first, just consider that Tyrod's going to be back. We can, add in here what will be different if he if he's not but um are they going to be able to put up points miami's defense has not been playing great lex i'll go to you first here yeah if tyrod's in like they were doing some interesting things at the beginning beginning of the year like i know guys were impressed with some of the creative ways they were using tyrod and and some of the concepts but Again, he's he's going to be coming back from this injury that's kept him out for half the year. Like we don't really know how his hamstring is going to hold up and if he's, you know, going to run as much as he maybe would, but Miami's really been struggling on defense. They're they they've just been getting, you know, passed all over in a way that we didn't expect just with the, you know, the level of their cornerbacks. But uh yeah, they've not looked good. I think that there's some upside with, you know, Brandon Cooks and like maybe even Nico Collins considering his price. Um but I think Tyrod just boosts the overall offensive expectation for this Houston team. Like they need a bit of a jolt of energy, you know, with losing like a guy like Ingram in the locker room and all these, you know, big blowouts in a row, you know, they had a little bit of a late sort of rally in the fourth quarter versus the Rams. So maybe that gave them some energy back. You know, this is a, a beatable team in Miami. It's not, you know, Miami's only won like one game themselves. Right. So I think that it's an interesting spot. You know, Davis has some stuff about mills, you know, in this style of defense, but for Tyrod, at least, I, I do think it's interesting and they've allowed solid production on the ground to like Josh Allen. So Tyrod has some rushing upside, you know, assuming he's healthy. But yeah, I, I think that it's for either of these guys. It's not like the stiffest test. Miami has just proven to not be a very good defensive team this year. Well, and if Tyrod plays too, he's he's mobile, so he could buy time. They're playing a, a pretty heavy man defense, so that could get Cooks open. That could get some of the receivers open while Tyrod's scrambling around a little bit, which is something Mills isn't really doing. So it would open it up for the receivers, I think, to possibly have a little higher ceiling, especially getting Cooks downfield a little bit 
farther before you throw it to him. Um, if Tyrod's out, uh, the last time Mills faced this type of defense, which is a Patriot style defense, is when he played the Patriots and he threw for 312 yards and three touchdowns. So it's one way or the other. I think the quarterback in this game has a solid shot at having a pretty good game, especially if Miami is controlling the game and staying ahead and forcing Houston to play from behind and have to to throw the ball. Are there, Lex, did you have something there? No, go ahead. I was going to say, are there specific considerations we should have for positionally for pass catchers? If, you know, depending on whether it's Tyrod or Mills. Uh, Personally, I think Cooks is definitely a better play with Tyrod. I mean, Tyrod's first, you know, one and a half games, he went five for 132 and then five for 50, like just in that first game and then the half. And he struggled a bit more with Mills. Now they've been different defenses. Like it's not all the same. And Cooks had a nice like late rally in that game versus the Rams put up a decent score. But uh, I think his ceiling and floor are definitely both higher with Tyrod. And I just think the expectation of the Houston offense is just is better, you know, and improved with Tyrod. But it's not like he can't have success with Mills. Like maybe just as like, just is saying about the style of this Miami defense. Uh, but personally, I would prefer to play cooks with Tyrod, you know, if Tyrod's playing. Yeah. I agreed with that week two before Tyrod got injured cooks had a 50% target percent or target yeah. rates. <laughs> he was definitely looking for cooks. And, and like I was saying about Tyrod being mobile, that's just going to let cooks work a little bit more and beat his man and possibly get downfield. He's the receiver. We want a roster. He's the guy who can get those two big touchdown catches. So I think it's definitely better for him. Um, I did pull up a chart of snaps and, and target share for the Texans wide receivers. And Danny Amendola is interesting. He's had a, since he's came back, he's he's third or he, yeah, he's right behind Nico Collins and snaps in that week seven game, but tied him in target percentage. And then he tied him in snap rate last week and passed him in target percentage. So the and the slot receiver has been who to go to when you're you're targeting Miami's defense. He's not going to put up like a huge score. Cooks definitely has the high ceiling, but Amendola at 3,200 is at least interesting based on the matchup here between the uh, Miami slot and then the way that they're using him or the amount of time he's on the field and the amount of time he's in the slot. So it makes him interesting as kind of one of those cheap plays. If you're trying to just cram in a bunch of other stuff and you're looking for somebody who can get you, you know, 10, 15, 20 on a good day. I don't need to play Danny Amendola because I'm playing Jordan Love. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I think that's actually pretty interesting, uh, specifically the defensive matchup, because that's kind of what I was wondering. Uh, Usually that slot's going to be a little bit better against Miami, even though they haven't been, you know, anything to be scared of this year as a whole. Definitely. I was ready for the, the, the cooks thing with Tyrod. That's really probably the only way that I would play him. I think he's still viable with mills if that's the case, but I would be much more interested with Tyrod in the game, you know, looking to potentially play, uh, you know, like just a kind of like a skinny stack of uh, Parker on one side cooks on the other or something. Uh, but yeah, that's, I think that's it in terms of like what I have for pass catchers, Jess, go ahead. 
Yeah, just a couple more things on passing. So Miami's defense is allowing 39.4 pass attempts against, which is at the higher range in the league. They're allowing 22 and a half points to quarterbacks, uh, 291 passing yards, 2.13 touchdowns per game, and a 75% multi-passing touchdown rate. So no other team is allowing multiple touchdown passes per game at 75%. Like they're they're definitely easy to to beat through the air this year. They're they started out like you could run all over Miami and then now teams are just cooking them in the air. So, and then uh, kind of one more thing back to Amendola, only the saints have allowed more targets to slot receivers than the dolphins. The saints have allowed 10 per game and the dolphins are at 9.8. So just kind of a couple of stats that I hadn't read off yet. <laughs> all right. So we did it for the pass catchers. I don't want to do it, but what's the backfield situation. <laughs> Messy. <laughs> That's disgusting. I say any anything worth talking about? Probably probably not, right? There are better things in life to put your money on than the Houston running backs. Just don't just don't even waste your time. Like there's just so many different ways you can play without you ever ever approaching that strategy. I I will I will not be touching the Houston running backs. Thank you very much. Man, I tried, I tried David Johnson last week too. That was one of the mistakes I made. I made four rosters. I threw him in there because he was super cheap. I figured, you know, they lost Ingram. He's and he started. He did start. He took the first snap of the game, but then just they didn't even use him the rest yeah, of the Yeah, disappeared, game. right? It made no sense. <laughs> and that I, their offensive line is worse than the league in uh, adjusted line yards. So there there's just there's nothing to like. Like, are you really gonna roster Rex Burkhead at age whatever he is, 35? <laughs> to lead this, this team and snaps and carries and get, you know, five points. Yeah. No, no, thanks. Yeah. I think, I think we're probably good. (laughs) I am good with this game. I am good. (laughs) All right. That'll do it for our games tonight. Guys, any high level thoughts, anything we talked about here, any other random thoughts on the slate as a whole? I haven't actually looked at it. I'm going to do some of that after what, once we jump off here. Um, but yeah, any, any other thoughts you guys had? There's not a ton of fantastic game environments. Green Bay, Kansas city was going to be it, but with, with the quarterback situation there. And then I don't know, like <laughs> Raiders is interesting. Which one? If he starts, if he starts, Taysom is always in play at a cheap price. He just has so much rushing upside, and he's we're back in twenty twenty. He's playing Atlanta again, like he's like he's another. I mean, he's not as cheap as like uh, as Love is, like we talked about. Um, but he's definitely a guy where you get access to a lot of rushing upside at a cheaper QB, you know, price. If he's yeah. if he's starting, there is no Thomas this year though. That that was one thing I was writing in matchups. Like this is not one of the games we talked about, obviously. But, you know, I think Taysom is interesting this week, but you definitely have to keep in mind, like last year, he basically was throwing to Thomas on like 40% of his throws. And this year, they, they they don't have many options. There's not Emmanuel Sanders. There's no Jared Cook. There's no Michael Thomas. Like it, it's definitely a, you know, slimmer pass catching core. More runs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> yeah, no, Taysom was one that I liked early last year when he, he had those first couple games. I was just really bullish on his rushing upside. And then people kind of caught on after that, but yeah, <laughs> like you said, it's hard just cause there's not really a supporting cast to get excited about, you know, there's no real 
passing game threat there. Um, yeah, I think it's gonna be a really interesting slate overall. Like I said, I haven't done like a, a full run through of it yet, but from the very high level and I've kind of been in discord a little bit and just seeing people start to chat about it. Sounds like it's going to be, you know, I think week gate was kind of weird shaped up really not a lot of certainty and it sounds like it's going to be kind of a similar spot. So, um, yeah, finding those spots where we can find certainty or being willing to embrace those spots that are uncertain, but at least exposes us to some upside or have a better chance of hitting than the field may expect then might be. There's no, uh, no Derek Henry or Cooper cup this week either. So, you know, it makes, you know, it just takes two big guys off the slate. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That Cleveland Cincinnati game is interesting too, because you've got Cincinnati who likes to pass and Cleveland who can't stop the pass. Their defensive line is built to, to pass rush and shut down the run. So I think since the throwing the ball and then on the flip side, Cincinnati's easier to beat on the ground, which is what the Browns are good at. So that's kind of one of those uh, strength versus weakness games that could be interesting, but it's also one of those pace down games. Neither team likes to run at a, a fast enough rate to generate a ton of volume. Yeah. Be careful though. Baker might just start sending these different guys home. You know, they don't like, you know, his passing. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, that'll do it for tonight. Thank you everybody for hanging out with us. It's been fun. Appreciate you guys. And yeah. We hope to see you at the top of the leaderboards this weekend. For Jess, for Lex, I'm Ben. See you guys next time.